0: Welcome in to episode 170 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. The Sources Say podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations by scheduling an appointment online, or by calling 859-543-0700. Uh, exciting news to announce today for our listeners. They are offering 20% off any whitening treatment to all Sources Say podcast listeners during our coverage this postseason. Go to justicedental.com slash Sources Say to book your appointment today. Or you can click the link in our show notes. I am your host Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. We are back from Tampa. The uh, dust has settled from the SEC tournament, and now full steam ahead on the NCAA tournament first round in Indianapolis. Sean Smith, how the heck are you?
1: I am fantastic, Jack. How are you?
0: Oh, I, uh, I, you know. It was a little bit of a disappointing Saturday afternoon, I will admit. It was a uh, it just so happened to be one of Kentucky's worst shooting performances in the John Calipari era in Lexington. It was a, a an abysmal performance. I uh, just couldn't hit the broadside broad of a barn. It was just it, it was one of those days that uh, your your best shooters couldn't make a shot. Davion Mintz wasn't close. Ty Ty Washington uh was you know, you know was able to hit some shots, but he was widely inefficient. Xavier Wheeler uh, kept taking these mid-range elbow jumpers and pull up, you know, pull up transition shots, and it was just, uh, it, it full. It was like a full system failure on the offensive side of the ball, and it was a, a quite frustrating performance. Uh, Tennessee ends up defeating the Kentucky Wildcats, 69 sixty-nine, sixty-two. End up claiming the SEC uh, tournament championship. Kentucky's uh, uh, immediate season, uh, the regular season in and uh, conference tournament ends. Uh, Now it's a win or go home scenario for uh, the Wildcats as they look ahead to the NCAA tournament and uh, kind of left a little bit of a sour note, Sean. It it, it was uh, a game that you'd really like to see Kentucky shoot better, even in a loss. You'd like to see them at least have some confidence and lose. Uh, If you're going to lose, you'd rather it be in a, uh, you, you know, a back and forth, high, high tempo, high scoring type game. Uh, But ends up being one of the worst shooting performances of the season for for the Cats. And you kind of got to go back to the drawing board uh, as they prepare to head to Indianapolis. So uh, what were your immediate thoughts after the game as you were watching the game uh, and your your panic level meter going into the NCAA tournament uh, after seeing how the Cats performed in that SEC semifinal matchup?
1: I still think that my, my panic meter is on the lower end. I'm not ready to panic yet because after I stepped back and, and took a look at that game, I'm not trying to find moral victories. You can't at this point in the season because now everyone's out of Mulligans. I mean, it's, it's winter go home. It's do or die starting on Thursday. So you're not going to sit here and try to find a moral victory. But I did think it was impressive that Kentucky had a chance to grab a rebound and then go tie the game against Tennessee with Oscar Sheboy on the bench, with them shooting two of 20 from three-point range, with Kellen Grady, Davion Mintz, and everyone way off from three-point range. And I think that's a positive because the way I look at Tennessee is I view them as a Final Four contender. I think they passed the eye test not only for the last six weeks. I think they passed it this weekend. And I feel like they really passed it on Sunday versus a We saw them in 2019 win that same game, Jack, against Kentucky, and then they fell apart in the championship game. The moment wasn't too big for Tennessee. So I'm looking at it as as a positive that Kentucky had a chance to win that basketball game, but there is some stuff that they need to clean up. I did go back and watch the tape today. Even with the shooting struggles, there were three or four or five plays there in the final six, seven minutes of that game just were attention to detail things defensively and missing a box out that even with the struggles, if Kentucky had just done those things, they might have still won that basketball game. That concerns me a little bit because you don't want to see that this late in the year. But I also think that when you look at this, they played horrible against Tennessee, but I'm having a hard time trying to find out which game they played worse in. Was it Tennessee in the SEC tournament or was it Notre Dame and South Bend in December? I didn't get to watch that game live. I watched the replay, so I didn't get to see the reaction. But all I remember is after that game, The run that they went on versus Carolina, versus Western, and into SEC play all the way through January was really impressive. Can they do the same following this loss?
0: And if you listen to John Calipari, Sean, after that game, you know I was kind of anticipating a, uh, you know, a little bit of a of a frustrated kind of short version of John Calipari where he goes to the podium and he goes, you know what, this would this. Uh, Performance was unacceptable. I don't know how you shoot 34.4% from the field and 10% from three. I don't know how your your three lead guards combine for – 10 of 41 from the field and and one for 17 from three combining for just 30 points that's ty ty xavier wheeler kellen grady and davion Mintz. that's what they combined for uh you know you expected a little bit of a, a of a letdown mindset i think from from coach cal and, and kind of like man you, you know it was a tough performance we got to get back to the drawing board we got to uh, really hit reset on this thing if we want to get our, mo- our mojo-, mojo back going into the NCAA tournament. But, Sean, you you and I were both there in person. He goes up to the mic. He's making jokes. He's cracking uh, little j- – throwing little jabs at the officiating crew, Doug Shouse and Pat Adams. He's saying, you know, just got to tip your cap to Tennessee. They were shooting the ball really well we couldn't make a single shot that we took it was just one of those days so on so forth who cares I'm, I want to get home by 8 30 and see my dog uh let's let's get ready for the NCAA tournament the my it was just a I was kind of anticipating something and then it, the, it was just a complete uh complete night and day difference could you just it, not the reaction that I was expecting at all and I gotta admit talking to him after the game it kind of made me feel a little bit better uh, of things knowing a He doesn't. He could not care less about the about the SEC tournament, and uh, if if he if if his team wins a title, if they're raining confetti on the team and and have the trophy, all that stuff, he could not care less about that because as we saw with the NCAA tournament draw afterward. It, the the results in the event didn't matter because Texas A and M didn't even get in, and and Tennessee still got screwed with a three seed. Regardless, when they were, if anything, closer to a one seed than a than than a three, uh, definitely I, I think comfortably on that two two seed line, they still didn't even get that anyway. So uh, it, it makes a, a whole lot of sense after the fact, hindsight speaking, that 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 Cal was so confident because I think he knew what was going to happen that Texas A and M would be screwed, Tennessee would get screwed, and he gets one extra day of rest to go home and play with his dog and let his team get rest as well, Sean.
1: Yeah, and, and Cal made that comment there that he's always right. <laughs> I think during the during the press conference, and everybody kind of started laughing. And, and I don't even know what he. I don't. Even, I can't remember exactly what he was talking about, but he was kind of trying to be funny, and, and it didn't look like the loss was weighing on him a ton. Because he knew that it wasn't going to – I still think had Kentucky won that game Saturday and won the SEC tournament on Sunday, Baylor still would have been the final number one seed. After everything that I saw with that bracket yesterday, Iowa entered the Big Ten tournament as a projected number five seed in Lenardi's bracket. Duke entered the ACC tournament as a projected number two on the lower end. Tennessee entered as a three seed, and none of it changed. Tennessee wins the SEC tournament. They get a three. Duke loses to Virginia Tech in a weak ACC, and they still hold on to the two line. Iowa goes and wins the Big Ten and is now a trendy Final Four pick, and they stay on the five seed line. The SEC tournament postseason conference play means absolutely nothing unless you win the automatic bid. That's the only thing it's good for. And I almost wish that we'd get to a point to where the committee and, and everyone would just come out and say, look, we're not even evaluating you this week. This is only for the automatic bid and then just to go play for your to get better for the NCAA tournament or to play for your fans. Cause that's pretty much what it is.
0: Yeah, and it's super irritating. I mean, uh, you, you put so much time and money and resources in, in, into building this this massive event. Fans spend so much hard-earned money, you know, flying down to Tampa. I mean, it was a sea of blue. Phenomenal event itself. You know, the, the atmosphere, the arena was phenomenal. The, the, the downtown Tampa area was gorgeous. The pep rally, the KSR pregame show, all of the the stuff that went into this event, it was amazing. I, I I could not have enjoyed my time down in Tampa anymore, outside of you know the the obvious with the the result itself. But after coming home and kind of digesting things and seeing how the bracket laid out and all that, it was like it, it really kind of makes you take a step back and go, Sean. All of that was a waste of time. Everything that we did down there was a waste of time. It was a waste of, shoot, if anything, you know, the Alabamas of the world are more prepared. You know, if they get knocked out early, they're more prepared because it was just extra days of rest. They didn't get punished. They still made it in with the the seed line that they uh, had going into the, Uh, you know into the SEC tournament they left with the same uh you know seed projection as they did going into it Kentucky is you know still a firm number two they ended up being number seven overall could have been a number one potentially uh had they you know had they won out but they didn't get punished too too bad it just felt like everything was a waste of time down there uh down in in Tampa and it was just like why are we even to this point anymore that that we care. Uh, I, I saw. I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but they said that the, you know these conference tournaments should be reserved for the teams that are still fighting for, uh, you know, fighting for bid, and, and those are the teams that should be really duking it out and and uh, you know should be favored favored better by the committee and have a better chance of making it in. Not the teams like Kentucky or Arkansas or Tennessee or, or Auburn who really have nothing to to uh, gain by participating well down there the the seed lines that they had going into the event were the exact ones they left with uh one through four sean
1: yeah it's it kentucky was right there what five or six on artist projections going into tampa and i don't think it would have mattered they, they ended up where i think they were going to be the two in the east i know we talked about where would they get to the midwest but they ended up sending auburn there kentucky goes east with baylor but it's disappointing that Kentucky played the way that they did. I mean, I get it. Like, there's there's not – I don't want to put a lot of stock in the SEC tournament. I know John Calipari doesn't. They've won this, they've won this thing a few times in years that they finished runner-up. 2012, 1996, they didn't win uh, the league tournament and still went on to win the NCAA tournament. This team still has potential to do that. You're seeing that now with uh, some national guys picking Kentucky to get to the Final Four, make a run a national championship. But I think the disappointing thing is – they had one of the worst performances of the year in a game against a, a, t- a Tennessee team where there was a lot at stake. I mean, it's your rival, and they didn't play well. Uh, you could also kind of say that I also don't think that Tennessee played great for s- stretches of play in that game. Like, neither team was on fire. Tennessee was there at the opening, but they hit 1-3 the, the rest of the way. Uh, Kentucky did outscore them in the second half and, and make a push there. That's the only thing that concerns me is just it, it happened late in the year, but I do think that Cal's teams are really good at flushing things when they happen like this, and and I think this is one that you flush and you regroup and you go into Indy on Thursday, and and I think when you're talking NCAA tournament draws, this is one of the best ones Kentucky's had. It, it's certainly the best one that they've had on Selection Sunday since I've been covering the beat. I know that one in 2018 opened up and then they lost to Kansas State, but from the beginning, looking at it. I know I said a few weeks ago we talked about teams I wouldn't want to see, and I mentioned Baylor and I mentioned Purdue, but look, I've watched those teams. Baylor is kind of limping to the finish line here. We know that they're not healthy. We know that they've had struggles. Purdue can't defend to save its life. This is a really good draw for Kentucky that I think they should have a ton of confidence against every single team that they see in this bracket.
0: I mean, when you look at the other potential, you know, 7-10 matchups that that UK could have had, the other options were USC Miami, uh, uh, Ohio State or Loyola Chicago or Michigan State Davidson. Like those were the other options for Kentucky. Sticking with that two seed line and having to play a seven or a, t- or a 10 and Kentucky's options are Murray State in San Francisco. It's like, yes, Murray State's a very good team and, and uh, the, the run they're on, they're so offensively gifted and, and they put a ton of points on the on the board. Their pace is phenomenal and, and they're a really fun team to watch. But if you look at their resume, the only team that they've beaten that was of substance was Memphis. And that was at a time that everybody was me- beating Memphis. Memphis was uh, abysmal. So, yeah, now, right now, Memphis is a 9C. They're playing very well late um, in, in the year. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that has happened because Amani Bates has not played since January. I, I think that's a very uh, clear uh, correlation between those two things. So you you go back then, that was the only high quality win of where it was like, oh, man, you know, that's kind of a scary thing going into the tournament. They haven't beaten anybody outside of that. So uh, I, I understand there's the mindset of, yeah, their offense is pretty and they put up a ton of points and all those things. But I still think that was a favorable draw in itself. I don't think St. Peter's is very good in the slightest. Their size—it's a—it's such a clear advantage for Kentucky in the front court. Uh, they're kind of a, a defensive-minded team. They're small. They can't score a lot of points. And Kentucky will have a clear advantage down low in the front court. Oscar could go for sixty and forty if he wanted to. It's—it's it's one of those matchups that could not have favored well, uh, you know, good well enough for Kentucky in that first round. Then you get you know a potential. You know Purdue matchup in that Sweet 16, or even a uh, Texas and you know the Fighting Devin Askews. If they somehow manage to upset Purdue, you just go down the list, and there's not. It's a lot of name brand schools, Sean, but it's not really a draw that that scares you in, in terms of matchups, in terms of uh, other teams playing at their best at the right time. It's like there's not there's not that one team that's playing as hot as anybody in, in college basketball that you go, oh, you're getting them at a really bad time. Uh, like the, the draw itself is, yeah, that you have North Carolina, UCLA, Baylor, Texas, Purdue and Murray State in the same in the same region. But none of those teams are playing as, as well as anybody in your in, in, or, or have a clear advantage over Kentucky in any uh, certain po- skill uh, position or size or anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a, a draw that, you know, you look at guys like Duke, you look at some of these other teams that uh, were kind of in a similar position that I think kind of got. Uh, a little bit hosed, or, or maybe it's what they deserve. But uh, I, I think Kentucky clearly got the upper hand whenever it came to their draw.
1: Absolutely. They did 100%. And, and when you look at this, and I'm not discrediting San Francisco or Murray State. like Kentucky will have to play against those opponents, especially when you get to this, this time of the season. If if team's in the NCAA tournament, they're playing well this time of year. So just looking at the top seeds, so the ones and the twos in their first weekend matchups, I think Kentucky has one of the best setups out of the top eight when you're talking the uh, number two Auburn possibly playing USC or Miami in the second round. Like, I could see USC or Miami beating Auburn and eliminating them. I could say the same thing for Gonzaga having to play a Boise State team that's in the AP top 25 and then a Memphis team that's been playing much better as of late. Like, when you go across the board here and you look, uh, even in the bottom half, Duke as a two, Michigan State is a seven seed in that second-round matchup, playing a well-coached Davidson team in the first round. Like Kentucky, to me, got one of the better draws, and maybe not getting a one seed might have helped them uh, in this bracket, being on the bottom half of this thing. Because when you're looking at what's at the top half of this bracket with Baylor, a possible matchup with North Carolina in the second round. I know Kentucky just completely blew North Carolina off the floor in December, but I I could see North Carolina giving Baylor some problems there. And then you go through and and UCLA. I I would rather play Purdue at this point than UCLA. I thought UCLA has been playing very well as of late, so I I do think that Kentucky got a very solid draw. And I think for the first time, we didn't hear John Calipari complaining about it. And I think that's why.
0: Yeah, it it, it was kind of funny that when he was asked about it after the uh, afterward, it was kind of like you know you. This is typically a time that you use. Your entire fifteen minutes, or whatever his his immediate allotment is, to complain about the draw, and you know, oh, they sent me out to uh, you know San Francisco to play, uh, you know, a, an absolute juggernaut of of, of teams, and and uh, he spent the entire press conference not saying a single word about it. He was like, yeah, you know, M- M- Murray State's pretty good, and you know, I'm teaching my team that you they, you can't overlook anybody. We're really prepared preparing for St. Peter's, uh, you know, talking to uh, uh, Kellen Grady and and uh, Jacob Toppin afterward they both said you know all we care about right now is St. Peter's they had all the right they were saying all the right things and all that but you kind of kept waiting for that moment where Cal was going to start complaining and he never did because I think he understands that this was a pretty favorable favorable draw uh, I think it, it it's not an easy draw but it's a manageable draw and it's one that Kentucky can pl- can can uh, decide its own fate moving forward it's not a, a team that you go oh no that's a matchup nightmare there's not a uh, Wisconsin in 2015, where that was the one team that had a versatile wing that was, you know, six, seven, uh, that was a knockdown scorer and, a, and a, a, you know, nice athlete that UK didn't really have a matchup for, uh, you know, and Sam Decker was kind of that same thing. He's he like, you, that's the one team that you can't, that, that you really don't want to see in the tournament. And then you end up getting them in the final four. Uh, there's not a, a team on this side of the, of the bracket that you look at and you go, well, that's the team that's going to be able to knock off Kentucky. Uh, especially in the region, I think that it sets up very, very well uh, in the Elite Eight, and 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 you know potentially setting up a another trip to New Orleans. But Sean, I wanted to ask you uh, after seeing Tennessee, after seeing what we saw against Vandy, how Kentucky ended the the last couple weeks of the season. We came on the show and we said, "Look, it's it's a little bit worrisome that they have had such struggle such." Uh, struggles late uh, of closing things out and beating a team down the stretch and and letting off the gas a little bit. It was something that we just kind of said, "Well, let's just get to the you know it's four or five games left in the season. Let's just get." They're focusing on the SEC tournament. They just want to focus on on March. Uh, it was kind of that we were twisting it and kind of hoping for the best. But it, we got to admit, it was it was a little bit of a troubling sign. You go down to Tampa, they do the same thing against Vanderbilt. It's a really, you know, very well-coached Vanderbilt team, very, you know, impressive performance. They, they fought really hard in that game. Uh, so you kind of, uh, kind of gave the excuse again, like, well, it was just a very well-coached team. They played really hard. They were desperate. They're fighting for an NCAA tournament bid, blah, 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 blah. And then you go against Tennessee and you're expecting for a, a kind of a, a ramp up game. This is the game they're going to you know, be all in for. This is the game. They're going to be engaged on both ends. Uh, and the performance itself was very underwhelming on both ends. Like you said, there were a lot of lapses defensively couldn't hit a, a single shot uh, on the offensive end. It was very kind of frustrating seeing Kellen Grady just kind of lose all confidence and he wasn't taking shots. And the, of the shots he took, he really wasn't even remotely close, Sean. And, and, uh, that's kind of the the thing that I'm slightly worried about. I'm hoping that you you get a reset like we got after the Notre Dame loss where they go on that that run of beating the absolute crap out of teams. But there there is that worry, and I'm I'm curious what your biggest concerns are going into March and, and if there's anything in particular that you think, okay, if Kentucky loses, that's gonna be what beats them. Uh, n- n- not even necessarily in an in- individual matchup, but just something that that would be a self-imposed. Um, loss. So I'm curious, what what are those things that you think you are most concerned about after seeing Kentucky's most recent stretch of play uh, going in the, into the big dance?
1: I honestly think that it falls on Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz, and not on their shoulders individually, but their confidence. If those two don't find confidence, and it, it, they don't have to be hot on the same night, Jack. like They both don't have to knock down uh, three or four three-pointers apiece, you just need one of those guys to be able to hit shots when they're open. And Grady didn't look confident at all. That first miss that he had the other day in transition, I mean, he that was one of the worst misses he's had all season. A wide open <laughs> I mean, three at the top of the key. <laughs> and he that. just didn't look right after he missed that. It was almost like, what the heck was that type of look? And And I feel like that there's a point with him to where – it's almost like where they, they don't run action for him, and then I know there at the end of the game, John Calipari you know drew that up to uh, get him the shot because he wanted to kind of have him break through because he knows he needs them in this he needs him in this next tournament. But it kind of feels like at times that Grady doesn't know when he needs to shoot when he doesn't need to shoot, and he second guesses himself. I'm, he's done this a lot this year, and I know he's hit quite a few of them where he catches and he'll dribble to his left or dribble to his right. But there are times I went back and watched the tape from the last two weeks. There have been like seven, eight, ten different times where he has caught the ball, and he's done that. But if he had just taken the initial shot on the catch, he probably hits the three. And he actually played his way into a contested jumper a couple of times. His best shot of the day on Saturday was the one where he come around and, and curled and just, just rose up and just shot it, and it rattled out. It was the best-looking shot of the day. The other ones were the ones that were way off the mark to the left, to the right, to the backboard. To me, it's confidence with those two. Same thing with Mintz. Getting in there, playing with confidence, and then not letting those issues travel to the other end of the floor. I think both of those guys did that on Saturday. You saw Kenny Chandler blowing by people. You saw uh, Zieglerbahn blowing by people. Those two, if they do shoot poorly, they have to defend on the other end, and I think that they both kind of let that travel. Davion Mintz fell asleep a couple times. It was him that got back cut by Kenny Chandler, and it was awful – Ah, uh, positioning with his foot. His right foot got to have his left foot, and he could not recover on the back door cut. So th- those—that's where I put it. And it's not really their play as much as it is their confidence. As long as they're confidently taking shots and making plays, Kentucky is going to be fine. They don't have to hit them all. Just can't miss them all. Exactly. <laughs> and my gosh, they missed them all on Saturday.
0: Yeah, they, they most certainly did. And I'm curious. Seeing Kentucky play, I, I, I would, for my money, I'd say that the last time that we saw Kentucky play where you left a, a Kentucky game feeling overwhelmingly positive, like, wow, that was a really impressive win. That was a really impressive performance, was that second matchup against Alabama where it was Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz running the show and it was Savvier Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington out with an injury. And I think that was a game that we talked about. oh oh, how awesome is it that kellen grady is now uh learning how to you know bring the ball to the floor and he's getting comfortable doing that and he's learning how to create his own shot and he oh look he's uh you you know kind of initiating for himself setting his uh, you know setting up for his teammates he's driving to the basket he's finishing on floaters and and you know having nice touch around the rim and he was he was just kind of had this all-around effort where he was just a human flamethrower from deep but he was also very polished as a ball handler and it was like man, this this kind of opens up the door for, you know, kind of unlocks the offense a little bit uh, going into, uh, you, know, you know, tournament play. Man, what's it going to do when Ty Washington and Xavier Wheeler come back? Because now you have three high-level ball handlers, and Davion Mintz is obviously up there as well, and, and you know, four guys that are very, very capable of doing that. But, it's Sean, it, it feels like ever since then, that's when, Kellen's Kellen's confidence was kind of shaken a little bit, and I think I'm curious. Do you think it has to do with the fact that he got so comfortable in that role, and that's when he played some of the best basketball of his season? Uh, th- now that he has kind of go back to being the okay, we, you just run around the baseline and and you know keep coming off screens and trying to find as many open looks as you can as a catch and shoot uh, specialist. Uh, and not having the ball in his hand as much. Do you think that kind of hurt him in the long run, especially from a confidence standpoint, because he was finding his groove so well in that previous role, and now it's kind of been uh, taken away from him, and now he's, he, he is solely a catch-and-shoot artist on this team. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think of, of his role and how it's changed over the last couple of weeks.
1: Well, this is a team right now, if you're evaluating Kentucky going into this tournament, you would say that they peaked in late December through late January. Maybe that first week of February going into Alabama and Florida and then the Ty-Ty Washington injury. When they went out, with when both of those guards went out, I do think that it kind of messed with just the chemistry and and the way guys were playing and and maybe the confidence. You saw Mince and Grady both play well in that stretch, but they had no option, right? Like, you know, hey, if I'm making a mistake, I'm playing a ton. I don't think that's the case with Grady, though, and here's why. Even on nights where Grady hasn't shot the ball well, he still played 37, 38 minutes. In that stretch of Alabama-LSU, he played 79 of a possible 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. I wrote in a story today. Now, he had to then, but even when he wasn't shooting well or he was going – he'd miss five or six in a row or he'd disappear, Cal was still playing him close to 40 minutes. I just think that maybe the rhythm overall as a team and in, in that in the backcourt is kind of – Still not where it needs to be. I think it's close, though. You're getting Ty Ty starting to break through. I do want to see him be more efficient. Savir made some massive plays late in that game that got him back in it and gave him an opportunity. I want to see them this first weekend, Thursday night against St. Peter's at 7 o'clock. I want to see them really build some confidence. Grady needs to see the ball go in. and needs to see it go in often. Davion Mintz needs to come in, accept that roll off the bench again where he's just defending hitting open shots, setting up others. I think that when you look at what they did in Tampa, there there is some good things that they they did there. They were able to grind out that win versus a desperate Vandy team on Friday night. How much of their legs was left on Saturday? I don't know. I know Cal said he chose not to do the shoot around. Did that make a difference? Obviously, if you've done that all year and then you don't do it and you play that way, you're instantly as a coach going to think, man, that was the reason why we struggled. Uh, you had Jacob Toppin wearing the mask. How how much was he thrown off on Saturday? I don't know that situation, but I do think they did some good things. I think that they put together some of their best defensive stretches in the last three to four weeks in those two games, uh, especially on Saturday against Tennessee. But the thing that concerns me the most, Jack, is you can defend at a high level and it look really good overall but those mistakes that they made in crunch time where it's a six-point game and you're trying to make a run, you give up a backdoor cut, or you just give up a straight-line drive with no passing, nothing, no change of movement, just Kendi Chandler straight to the rim. Keon Brooks doesn't box out on the most important possession of the game. Those things right there worry me because it's, it's March. It's the game before the NCAA tournament, and you're making critical errors you've defended and given yourself a chance even through your shooting woes, but then you have these lapses where you just kind of get caught ball watching. That's the stuff Kentucky has to fix in this next tournament. I don't think they're going to shoot it as poorly as they did Saturday. They're not going to have another game like that. That's the good news. They got that one out of their system. If I'm not mistaken, was that the worst three-point shooting night they've had in the month of March since West Virginia in 2010?
0: Uh so they shot worse technically against Davidson in 2018, well, yeah. but that they went 0 for 6 in that game, so it really doesn't count. And actually, it was even worse than that West Virginia game because they went 2 for 20 in this one, in uh, 4 for 32 in that game. So, uh, in bulk, you, you know that I would, for my money, I would say that West Virginia game, that West Virginia game, was a worse shooting performance because it came in 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 larger uh, in larger numbers, but in terms of efficiency, this was uh, easily the worst of the John Calipari era in March, which uh, is saying something because uh, it, he's had some, some very poor shooting performances uh, around this time.
1: And let's give Tennessee a ton of credit.
0: Defensively, Absolutely.
1: Defensively, their physicality, like the thing that worries me right now about Kentucky is if they get up against a physical team. And every single team that watches this tape, you're going to go back and you want to see, you want to see okay what did Tennessee do to this Kentucky team that disrupted them? Well, they got up in them and Kentucky to me they they had guys that didn't just welcome that they kind of shied away from it and Kentucky was playing offense at times a step or two away from the three point line where they typically don't. That's been the that's been the case the last two times they played Tennessee. I think Tennessee knows you saw Rick Barnes go with an excellent game plan at the beginning, putting size on the floor against Oscar Shebwa. They kept him off the glass early. He got the second foul headed to the bench. That was a scenario that I wanted to see play out. For the most part, I think Kentucky did okay without Oscar on the floor. They didn't get buried. They made a run, got it to six a couple of times, and then it pushed back out there before the half. And then late in the game, they made their run with Oscar on the bench. I think that's encouraging. I got to see that. But I also want to see this team and these these guards get a little bit tougher. Xavier Wheeler's their dog. I don't think Xavier scared of anything, but I want to see Ty Tai Washington start being stronger with the basketball. He had a key turnover there early in the game where he was weak with the ball that. Uh, led to a Josiah Jordan James 3 in transition that made it a six-point game. And then Kentucky never really caught back up from that point until late in the game. Uh, never got it back close. I know they got it to 4 or 5, but it just felt like that was a huge play early that kind of created some separation, and it was all because their guards weren't being strong with the ball. I want to see Kellen Grady do the same thing. So when you turn on the tape this week and you watch Kentucky, if you're, if you're St. Peter's, if you're Murray State, San Francisco, Purdue moving forward – you're going to say, okay, we've got to be physical with these guards. If we're physical, will they respond to it or will they shy away from it? I think that's Kentucky's biggest thing moving into this tournament is accept it and then do it to the other team as well. Push them out. Be aggressive here. Don't be back on your heels.
0: Yeah, I mean, because then what was the narrative after this most recent game? It was – wow, the first head-to-head matchup, Kentucky clearly had the better backcourt than Tennessee. Ty Ty Washington was clearly better than uh, than Kennedy Chandler, and, and, and uh, Xavier Wheeler was clearly better than Ziegler. In the last two matchups, uh the the script has been flipped it's been exactly the the opposite Tennessee's backcourt has been uh, unbelievably better in their head-to-head matchups than than Tennessee and, and I I agree I want that I want them to use this opportunity to kind of use that as as an a, to their advantage as a, almost a chip on their shoulder uh to say all right th- there's this mindset that we're not the best you know all year long it's been Kentucky is the best backcourt in the SEC. So, Savvy Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington. Oh, you got a uh, dynamic playmaker. You got a dynamic three-level scorer. You're one and two. How are you going to stop them? You know, there's this this a, a lot of uh, you know a confidence in this group, and, and that's kind of been taking a hit the last couple of weeks. And I want them to use these next two games potentially uh, against St. Peter's and, and potentially Murray State to uh, re-solidify itself as a premier backcourt in the sec that yeah uh tennessee's backcourt is good uh but you also need to understand that can that they're not going to shoot as poorly as as kentucky did ever again and and you know not going to turn the ball over not going to make as many timely mistakes not going to uh you know have any defensive lapses those sorts of things i think these next especially game one i want this to be a confidence building game it would it would be absolutely massive for this team to go out and win win this game by 30 40 points in the first round go out don't don't let them hang around don't let it be a 2, two 15 oh upset alert on on the cbs app that you're going to get do not let it get to that point because i think that would that would make them toast moving forward you gotta go out there put you know your 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 foot to the floor on the gas and and go f- a full 40 minutes of an actual absolute beat down against a team that you are very capable uh, of beating down. St. Peters is not a good basketball team. You have the positional advantages across the board. You need to go out and make a statement in this game uh, and I think uh, this this is going to be a great opportunity for him to do so.
1: Yeah, and just and let's do a quick dive into the St. Peter's game. We'll, we'll do this for like maybe a minute or two. We're going to save most of it for the preview later this week, but you're talking about a game that should give them a ton of confidence. But when you look at St. Peter's on Ken Palm, they are 118 overall. Their offense, horrible, 259. 259 in Ken Palm. So this should be a game where Kentucky should be able to have some confidence on the defensive end, Jack. And honestly, I'm thinking 50. Hold them to 50. Maybe hold them to even less than 50. Uh, defensively, though, St. Peter's is number 34 in adjusted defensive efficiency. But we know the level of competition that they're playing there. I want to, I don't think that that's accurate. I, I don't think that they have anyone that can match up with Oscar Shibwe. I think Oscar could have a 20 and 29, honestly. like He should rebound and get anything that he wants if he's able to stay on the floor. And when you look at what St. Peter's has done in its last couple of games, so in their conference tournament, they scored 77 against Fairfield, gave up 63, but then here's the next two. 64 to 52 60 to 54. this should be a game where Kentucky builds some confidence on the defensive end and then gets something going offensively too
0: yeah and they have nice size at guard they they you know a lot of six two six three ish size guys but Sean, the front court is is not impressive at all. Their their tallest player is, is 6'10, 225 pounds. Uh, but elsewhere, you know, 6'7, 6'8, 6'7, 6'7, 6'7". none over. You know, uh, Clarence Rupert is, is 6'8, 245. That's their biggest guy. He's a freshman. Uh, you know, you just go down the list. There's not a physically imposing guy on their roster. And the, I, I agree. I think that this is a game that Oscar can go for as many points and rebounds as he wants. Um, but you know, I, it's not even necessarily about Oscar. Obviously, you want him playing at a high level and and all that. But you know what you're going to get out of, get out of Oscar. I'd almost prefer if this was a, a Savvy Wheeler game or especially a Kellen Grady or a Davion Mintz game because those two uh, in the last six games, seven games, are shooting less than 25 percent combined, and and that's just not going to do it. That you need those two players to be shooting at a high level uh, in, in, once you get to the round of 32, once you get to the Sweet 16. Hopefully, when you get to the Elite Eight, that's when you need this team shooting its best basketball. And uh, and that's kind of what I'm hoping this is a guard-oriented, guard-heavy type game. They have nice size. They have some nice... Uh, you know, obviously, they're very impressive defensively. Uh, I, that's kind of where I hope Kentucky really finds finds its, its advantage. Obviously, Oscar's going to do what he does best. He's going to get his numbers. But I really want this to be a guard-oriented game where Kentucky easily wins that head-to-head matchup.
1: Yeah, the, the key that we should be writing about around 10.30 or 11 o'clock on Thursday, you want to be writing some columns about Kellen Gray. I think that's the one that you want to write about. We've written about Ty Washington getting going in Tampa. We've written about Xavier Wheeler you know, doing his thing the last couple of weeks, Oscar's Oscar, Keon's had his moments, Jacob Toppin. The one that you want to write about it is Kellen Grady. You want to see Kellen Grady go and and hit three or four or five threes maybe in that first game against St. Peter's. Build some confidence, let Davion do his thing. We know at some point in this tournament, and for some reason it always seems to be that second-round matchup, that is where the bench has to show up. And there's always a guy that makes a difference. If you remember a few years ago in Jacksonville, it was Jamal Baker that came through and, and made some plays. There have been guys in the past in, in moments that have stepped up in that second game that have kind of been under the radar guys. Hamadou Diallo out in uh, Boise. I know he was a starter, but he broke through and had a huge game uh, against Buffalo in that second round. So there's going to have to be a guy in that second round game if Kentucky's able to advance on Thursday, that second game on Saturday, a guy that's kind of been under the radar that my, you know hasn't maybe played well in a few games or just needs to break through and have an above-average performance they always need it off the bench. Who will that guy be in this tournament?
0: Who, who do you know? That, that's a good question. Who do you think that, that guy could be uh, that, that you think is going to break through or, or respond if they had been playing poorly or continue the success that they've had uh, in, in recent weeks? Is there a guy in particular that you think could take uh, a lot of advantage here, in particular uh, in Indianapolis?
1: I think it's Toppin because of he he's the guy that and I'm not it doesn't even have to happen in points. It doesn't have to happen in made shots. I just feel like Toppin off the bench is the guy that can impact the game in multiple categories, whether it be rebounding, locking up someone defensively, blocking a shot, making a high energy play at the rim, knocking down a 15, 16 footer, just making those effort plays. I, I feel like he's the easiest pick. Davion Mintz, I could see also being that guy coming in and and hitting a three or two in a stretch. We know that he can do that. He's fully capable of doing that. I mean, he's gone for 20-plus in a game this season. Kentucky's got a couple of guys that can do it, and I think that they both will at different points. But to me, the most confidence I have would be Jacob Toppin because he doesn't have to hit shots to make an impact.
0: I think Toppin was so good against Vanderbilt, and we have talked about that in that show. But uh, his his two way ability, I mean, was just un- unbelievable. His versatility, he showed off his athleticism. He showed off his growing skill. Uh, I mean, that that was one of the, his best performances of the year. And I, so I, I I agree. I would love love to see him continue to build on that. Um, I, I really like what Saber Wheeler has been doing l- recently. This this game in particular against Tennessee was not his best. Uh, at least in terms of an overall efficiency standpoint, but he still did a lot of really good things. 10 points, six rebounds, three assists, one block, one steal. Um, I, I like to to see him, like you said, kind of continue to have that dog in him and, and lead this team, uh, continue to control that pace and and do what uh, he has done best. But uh, there there's not another guy on this team that needs to break through more than Kellen Grady. This team will not make it. Uh, shoot, I, I think there's a chance they could lose in the round of 32 if Kellen Grady doesn't get back to – uh, having his full confidence, getting back to you know his efficient ways, uh, I think if if UK is missing him, uh, I, I think that they could get the, they could get upset early, and I, I hate to see that, and I'd, I'd hate to to live that and, and and be there in attendance for it. But um, I, Kellen Grady is number one, absolute top of the list of, of the of priorities of guys that you have to get going, and that you have to do so immediately because uh, I think UK could be on upset alert if if not.
1: And you asked me when we opened the show earlier, what's my biggest concern? And it it honestly didn't hit me until just now. When you when how many times now have we have we said get going or get right? You don't want to be saying that going into this tournament. You know the big thing was getting Tai Washington right in Tampa, and I think that they did that. I do want to see him be more efficient, and I think he's going to have to be more efficient if they're going to beat really good teams in this tournament beyond the first weekend. But sitting here talking about Kellen, you you hope it's just a slump thing that where he just comes out there and just sees one or two go in early and it's not a confidence thing between the ears. Because if it is, I don't know how you build that. You just the only way you do is you just got to put one in, put one in the basket. And and I'm hoping that you see that Thursday night because we don't want to be going into Saturday or into that sweet 16 round sitting here saying, Man, they got to get Kellen Grady going. They got to get Kellen Grady going because your teams that win national championships entering this tournament. You really don't have to say, man, we got to get someone going. If you remember, it was Darius Miller in the SEC tournament the year Kentucky won at 2012, but they did get him going in that conference tournament game. It feels a little bit different here, but you've got to get some confidence for him on Thursday. And if he can do that and shake this thing off, and I think that he can, he's a veteran guy, Jack. He talked to us last night. He's not hiding behind any excuses. He's saying Absolutely. he shot like crap. And I think that right there tells you. He's not going, he's not going to sit here and come up with an excuse. It's not, he's played too, too many minutes. He's a fifth year guy, started four years at Davidson. He's been in an NCAA tournament. He's played a lot of minutes. He knows that he just has to put the thing in the basket. And the most important thing is he knows he
0: has to be better. And and I think that's the key. Yeah. I, I loved, loved his response when, when he talked to the media, I thought he had phenomenal answers. He said, look, I sucked. I couldn't shoot. It was the worst I've ever shot. Uh, I need to be better and I will be better. I i i totally understand it was it, it, it you know he made no excuses there was just a, a complete and total accountability uh that i think i i do think that definitely plays well in, into our favor that that we could see him return to form sooner rather than later hopefully i mean it needs to be sooner rather than later because there may not be a later uh but i do think that he responded very well i'm glad that he was willing to be the first person to talk. He was the worst player on the floor for Kentucky in that in, that uh, SEC tournament semifinal, and he was one of the first people to, to, to talk following that loss. So I, I respect that and that he was willing to uh, go in there and, and talk about it and say it is what it is. I was what i was and and i got to be better and i will be better so uh, that was definitely a good sign definitely uh a a positive uh sign moving forward that makes you at least have some some semblance of confidence going into uh our trip to indianapolis so let's uh wrap up this show because we will be back uh here in the next day or two for our official saint peter's preview where we're going to talk about the matchup more in depth and Uh, You you know, we're going to talk to Coach Cal. He's going to have the uh, Colin radio show tonight, and then he's going to talk. Obviously, once we get to Indianapolis, we're going to have our normal uh, media day and kind of previewing that the NCAA tournament. So we're going to get more quotes, more. Uh, more you know conversation there's an open practice on wednesday afternoon that i'll be there in attendance for that we will be able to kind of give a scouting report has who's shooting bet who's shooting well who has kellen grady kind of turn things around those sorts of things we'll be able to talk about all of that so um with that let's uh wrap it up with one final message from our friends at Prize Picks. We are in the home stretch of the NBA season, and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite former Wildcats play than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and just pits you against the numbers, whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games. Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go over or under their projection. Prize Picks gives you the chance to win 10 times your money for getting four or five predictions correct. Download the Price Picks app or visit pricepicks.com using promo code Pilgrim to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Don't forget that's the Price Picks app or pricepicks.com using promo code Pilgrim to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your favorite former Kentucky stars to the next level. Sean Smith, where can fans find your work?
1: You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry.
0: You find me on Twitter as well, at KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another Jam-packed Sources Save podcast. We will see you then.